0: For most of human history, uh, the world believed what's called geocentrism. That is, that everything revolved around the earth, all the stars, even the sun, uh, they revolved around the earth. And it was very uh, unpopular. In fact, you would be ridiculed if you proposed that perhaps it could be another way. Uh, And you can look back into the history. Uh, as long, as far back as the third century BC, a man named Aristarchus uh, actually proposed that instead of everything revolving around the earth, that it, because of his measurements, because of him looking at the universe and measuring uh, the volume, he proposed that the sun was five to seven times bigger than the earth, which he was a little off there, but that instead, because the sun was bigger, that, that it must be more heliocentric, which means everything revolved around the sun in our uh, solar system. Everything revolved around the sun. All the planets revolved around the sun. But he was uh, not listened to. And most of the records from him and other uh, Hellenistic thinkers, scientists, were lost. They were destroyed. And <laughs> so it, you move all the way to the six, uh, 15th century... A.D., a man named Copernicus proposed and, and actually was taken seriously for the first time that instead of everything revolved around the earth, everything revolved around the sun. And so heliocentrism is now uh, the preferred theory of thinking about the world. Only the last 500 years did people understand that. <laughs> and you might wonder why I didn't come today to astronomy class I I didn't come for a philosophy well I I think what I want you to think about today is uh, the center of who you are you know uh, I actually was going to preach another sermon of forgiveness today uh, but I I felt a couple weeks ago and as I prayed uh, thinking about what what we were doing I I thought it's time to do something else and so uh, I, I, I thought about what's the most important thing I can say And it came to this, we need to think about what our center is. Instead of thinking about is the earth the center or the sun the center, I think we oftentimes as humans, we become anthropocentric or egocentric, either of which I think lead us to problems. Anthropocentric means that we believe everything is centered on man, human, in other words, it, it all revolves around us. Egocentric means individually, selfishly. It's all about me. It's self-centered. Anthropocentric, it's all about humanity and society and, and what we have here. And that's our nature. That's our flesh nature. To be primarily in it for what it does to me, how it affects me how it affects man not thinking about god if we think about god when we're anthropocentric or egocentric when we think when we're thinking about god it's how he can serve me how he can benefit me how he can take care of me i would argue that the scripture clearly tells us that we instead should have a theocentric philosophy in life. That is, God should be the center. God needs to be the sun around which we orbit. He needs to be the one who fills our days and directs our paths. He needs to be the one who we look to for direction. And instead of morphing and and making God fit into our model, we instead let him shape our lives, we let him shape our values, we let him shape our relationships, he becomes the director of our lives. And so to get to that today, I I hope that that makes sense to you. If you want to talk about this sometime, call me, email me, I'd love to talk to you about it, but if we want to to have God at the center, then, then I think it makes sense to get to know God's heart. It makes sense if God's going to be the center of our lives, if he's going to shape our values, if he's going to direct our lives, then then we need to know God. And how do we know God? We know his heart. Think about the person you're closest to in this life. How did you get to know that person's heart? It's by time together, communication together, interacting together together. The way we know God's heart is we read his scripture, and, and one of the best places in all of scripture to see the heart of God is in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is where we're going to look today, and we're going to figure out what we can know about God's heart. If we want to be, if, and I hope you do, if you want to be God-centered, theocentric in your life, then if we know God's heart, that'll help us in that process. What can we know about God's heart? The verse is this, and these verses, I've just taken this middle section out. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that he loves to help the needy. He loves to help the needy. Verses 6 and 7, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. God has always been for the underdog. Maybe you don't know that, maybe, but if you read closely the Old Testament, you see that God always takes the side of those who are less fortunate, those who have oppression, those who have uh, injustice to deal with. In the Old Testament, most of the prophetic writings are towards people in power to help them see, to identify with those in need. In the Old Testament, uh, primarily the folks that were in need, Old and New Testament, were the widows and the orphans, the foreigners and the poor. Why? Because all of those people had a hard time making a living. It was a man, male-dominated society. It, it was uh, men who did most of the earning of living, who had most of the rights. Uh, so if you lost your husband, you were in trouble. If you didn't have parents, you were in trouble. If you came from a foreign land and didn't have the rights of a a native person, you were in trouble. If you had a hard time taking care of yourself, you were in trouble, and God is for those who have need for protection, those who have need for the care of someone who can provide those needs, and we see that here. He tells us that we knew those ways and we see those ways. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. What did God do? He took the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and gave them their own country. He took those who were in an inferior position, those who were owned by another, and he set them free. I I tell you this today. You can know this about God. As many people as there are on the earth, the Bible tells us that he knows each of us. He knows our needs. He knows where we need supernatural assistance. And he can help us in our need. He can meet us in our area of need. God's heart is big enough to, to feel and to want to meet to serve the needs of all of his people children, all of those created in his image. He loves to help the needy. Secondly, we can know about God's heart and that he shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. He shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. This is from verse 8. And you'll see here in this passage, there's some verses that, that are very familiar. In fact, I'd, I'd suggest to you to memorize. This is one. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow in anger, abounding in love. A lot of times people will say, uh, well, the New Testament God and the Old Testament God are two different people. Old Testament God's all about anger and justice and wrath. He's all about bloodshed and war. And the New Testament God is about love, about forgiveness. Uh, Well, I will say to you, uh, the Bible's not schizophrenic. In the Old Testament, you see the same God. And this verse is a great example. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. You know, the King James Version translates that last part of verse 8 He's plenteous in mercy. I love that phrase. He's plenteous in mercy. What's that mean? It's overflowing. His mercy. The world needs more mercy, doesn't it? The world needs more people who, even though someone doesn't deserve it, we help them out. We take care of them. We don't judge them. We instead come alongside of them. Our God is one who, even in the Old Testament we see, is gracious and compassionate who's loving and abounding in love, plenteous in mercy. Thirdly, we know that God is patient from these verses. We see it in many places, but we see it here in verses 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, and nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. You know, I could make a sermon out of each of these passages, I'm telling you. There's so many ways I can go with that. Uh, Just let me say this. It is amazing to me that God takes care of people who spit in his face. He takes care of people who don't have any conscious uh, acknowledgement of him. He he, he withholds his capacity Capacity to zap and to judge instantaneously over people who are his enemies. Maybe you've seen, as I have the last few years, the rise in popularity of the atheist movement, have you? Uh, Christopher Hitchens is one of those, perhaps one of the most well-known. Richard Dawkins is another. Sam Morris is another. They, they write, and, and Richard, or Christopher Hitchens basically says uh, that, that people have no need for God. People have no need for religion. We've passed the time where there was a need for religion. Man has everything he needs to exist just fine on his own without talking about or having God talk. (laughs) Uh, God, it's amazing. I'm telling you, uh, it would be so easy for God to, to just stop that right away. But not only does God not judge right away those who say He is not here, or those who say not only if if God's not here, if He is here, then He's evil. He he takes people who are His enemies, and He continues to give them breath. He continues to give them food. He continues to give them blessings—the blessings to exist, the blessings to live. Can you imagine? But before we get to how on our horse, even if we are believers, all of us sin, don't we? (laughs) And this verse says that he does not give us what we deserve. Is that not amazing? What a great and awesome God we serve. He is so patient. I want to be patient like God is patient. I've got quite a long way to go, but God is patient. You can know that about him. Fourthly, he forgives all of our sins. He, he forgives all of our sins. Some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from him. You hear me quote verse 12 a lot. That's impressive. But I want to give you a little insight into how impressive that is, God's forgiveness, the greatness of his love. You think about the greatness of his love. Astronomers tell us that the farthest known light source from the earth is 10 billion light years away. That means that light starting from that source, a quasar, it would take 10 billion years traveling at the speed of light to arrive at the earth. By contrast, the nearest star is only four y- light years away from us. <laughs> That's four years traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Light reaches, uh, from the sun reaches the earth in a little over eight minutes. So even the nearest star is a vast distance from the earth. If you're using ion-drive propulsion, you can reach the nearest star in a modern spaceship in only 81,000 years. You can turn around any way you like, and you're left with two inescapable realities. First, we live in a tiny corner of the universe. And second, the universe is vast beyond our comprehension. Uh, But God's love is vaster, larger, deeper, longer, broader, and bigger in all dimensions of the universe itself. You get in a rocket equipped with any kind of sci-fi engine known are unknown that you can even imagine, and you still couldn't reach the ends of the universe. And this verse says that for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. What do you think about the magnitude of forgiveness? When it says God forgives as far as the east is from the west, let's suppose you want to go east until you reach west. So you take off from Baltimore, let's say, in a hot air balloon. When you land in Lisbon, you get in a Honda Civic and you drive across Europe until you come to Varna, Bulgaria. Then you hop on a freighter that takes you through the Black Sea, the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, the Suez Canal, the Red Sea, and on to the Gulf of Aden, uh, where you narrowly escape being caught by pirates, (laughs) and on into the Indian Ocean where you finally put ashore in Colombo, Sri Lanka. From there, (coughs) you catch a flight to Singapore and then down south to Perth, Australia. From there, uh, then you hitchhike across the outback, eventually arriving in Sydney, where you join a passenger ship ship headed for Easter Island. You then fly to Santiago, Chile, where you rent a beat-up Jeep and start driving north. It's a long way, but eventually you make it all the way to Nome, Alaska, where you hire a dog sled team that you can run the Iditarod race in reverse. And you go to Anchorage, where you hop a cruise ship to Vancouver, British Columbia. Then you take the Trans Canadian Highway, uh, uh, Railway, excuse me, ending up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And there you buy a high-end road bike and start pedaling through New Brunswick, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, New Jersey, finally arriving back in Baltimore. You've circumnavigated the globe, but have you? ever found the West. As far as you go East, you can't find the West. But this verse tells us, as far as the East is from the West, God forgives us our sins. Some of you in this room today have a hard time accepting that. But you can know this truth about God's heart. That there's nothing you have done that he can't forgive. He does not want you to get mired in your past. He does not want you to get weighed down by the anchor of guilt and shame. He wants to set you free. That's his heart. He wants you to be focused on him today and not lost somewhere in the past. That's why he is so forgiving. He is so loving. is so gracious what a great God we know see there's a lot of benefit to having your world centered on God and not lost in your own desires and your own needs of the of the moment the fifth thing I would say to you is he understands our weakness this passage moves in an amazing way at the verse 13 he says as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Compassion means, it comes from Latin, it means to suffer with. Compassion means that I think to, as somebody else is, is having pain, if somebody else is afraid, we come alongside and, and we walk with them through that. We, we meet them where they are. Hard to understand this verse, uh, it was for me till I had children. There's nothing you like to see less than your children suffer. That's why, Isaac, I'm going to have a talk with him about this verse. Actually, he told me that story before uh, that he told you at communion, and uh, I'm going to have him memorize this verse. (laughs) As the father has compassion on his children, so the father, his heart, is compassionate. He knows what we're going through and he helps us through it. He walks with us through it. He suffers with us through it. The helpless feeling to have your children have surgery, isn't it? I read of one young uh, father who took his son to have his tubes in his ears. It's a minor surgery, but there's no minor surgery when it's your child and they're putting to sleep, right? And the little boy was terrified. This is so cool. The doctor said, I'll take good care of you. And in fact, the last thing the father saw was the boy on the back of the doctor going into the operating room. That's compassion. God knows what you're going through. He knows what's going on in your life, the good and the bad. And as a father has compassion on his children. He has compassion on us. Sixthly, we can know about his heart that he remembers our frailty, verses 14 through 16, for he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of the field, the wind blows over it it is gone, and its place remembers it no more, perhaps him telling you things you don't want to hear. But I think it's important for us to know that God knows the frailty of our lives. God knows the fragility uh, of human life. There is a time to be born, as Ecclesiastes says, and a time to die. All of us are heading to that place. You know, it is beautiful in September and October when leaves start turning color as they lose their chlorophyll, they turn red and orange and even some kind of purple. They are beautiful, but in essence, those leaves, as they change color, they're dying. And then they come and cover your yard where you've got to be getting them up incessantly, right? It Doesn't it seem like to you your, your trees multiply every year? They, the leaves multiply every year, right? But you get them up at least we do, I, I mulch them up, and then I put them back into the ground. To the dust, they return. As I look in the mirror every day, I see there's a little more gray. God's sign to me that I'm headed to a place one day, an appointment that I can't put off, an appointment that I can't cancel. In Chicago, there's a sign uh, right outside a cemetery, uh, along a road that constantly is sped upon, uh, people in a hurry going too fast past the posted uh, s- <laughs> speed limit. It says this billboard: "Slow down, we'll save a place for you." All of us have, in our future, sickness and death. Yet. God's heart is big enough to help us with that fear, to help us with that journey as well. The last thing I would say to you is this, we can know about God's heart that he offers us eternal life. There are many verses and passages in scripture where it all turns on the little conjunction but, and here's another Verses 17 and 18, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love was with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. What that says to me is even though there is gray in the beard, even though the leaves lose their color and fade. Even though all of us have limited years to live, as we in faith put God first, as we in faith put God at the center, as we seek to live our lives to please God, then he will take our lives and make them everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. That is the best news I can give you. That God loves us and he wants to be connected with us. We have a sin problem, but if we trust him, he will forgive us because Jesus gave himself. If we trust him by faith, our sins can be forgiven. And when we die, our bodies go back to the earth, but we receive a new body. And we go to live in a new place, a new city, as it says in Revelation, where there's no more pain, no more mourning, no more tears. God's heart is that we Live with him forever as his children. One big happy family. I hope, I hope that you've placed your trust and faith in him. I hope that you'll put him at the center and and not get lost in in the everyday of life. So oftentimes we crowd out God with stuff that really doesn't matter, that's not going to last, right? God should be our everyday. God should be who we think about when we wake up. He should be who we think about at lunchtime. He should be who we think about as we go to bed at night. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to be with him forever. Billy Graham tells a story in one of his sermons of a boy who was sitting on a stoop in a town in northern England, sobbing, five years old. A policeman in London, they actually walk around the villages. Uh, a policeman, Bobby, walking on his beat, sees the little boy. He says, son, what's wrong? The boy says, I can't find my way home. I don't know how to get home. The policeman says, well, where do you live? He, he didn't know, the little boy didn't know the address. He said, "Well, let's let's start walking." And so they start walking and and they turn the corner. And the little boy sees in the distance the church in the center of town with on the steeple a cross illuminated. And he says, "Mr. policeman, take me to the cross and then I can find my way home." "Take me to the cross." and I can find my way home. You focus your energy on connecting with God, and He'll take you all the way home. Father, as we think about these things today, what a great, it's almost hard and impossible to put into words the immensity of your heart, of your love, of your forgiveness, (laughs) of your mercy. Father, I pray today that we've been encouraged by these words to to not be so focused on us, to not be so focused on politics and, and, and workplace stuff. And let us just focus on you. Help us to put you first, help us to know your heart. Father, I thank you for your promises. And we look forward to seeing you face-to-face one day. In Jesus' name, amen.